Today's podcast guest is somebody who is going to make you, I think, belly laugh, made me belly laugh. She's naturally funny. She's naturally warm. And she is uncommonly frank. She has not had an easy life, but her perspective is phenomenal. I don't think we agree on very much. She has always been a liberal, but now she finds herself outside of the liberal circle because she sobered up and she was like, yeah, now that I see things clearly, I'm not so sure. But she doesn't know she's a conservative either. What she is, is real and real funny. saw you on the Rubin Report. Oh, okay. I love Dave. I love Dave, too. Yeah. And uh, uh, you said that a friend of yours wigged out because you were coming here. Oh, yeah. Wigged out. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you really want to know all the things I've been told? Yeah, so you've been told by more than one person. Well, I just, I didn't really, I don't, I've stopped telling people that I'm, what I'm doing in advance because the, uh, the pre-backlash, and Dave and I talked about this on the podcast about how I'm doing this article about self-censorship, mm-hmm. and then everybody tried to tell me not to do the article, so I just don't even need to hear everyone's opinions. I feel um, comfortable in my path and what I'm doing, and I love having conversations with anyone. And yeah, somebody the other night, I did a podcast, and we were chatting afterwards, and they're like, why are you going to Dallas? And I said, oh, I'm going to do Glenn Beck's podcast, and he said, you realize that you are talking to somebody who's the epitome of evil, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like this is a fact. Wow. Not, wow. not as if, not as if it's like up for debate. It was a That's dead amazing. fact that, and I, it's hard for me to even take anyone seriously who views the world like that because you're flattening everything and everyone. And all the shades of gray are gone. Now it's just good. And I was just talking to one of your producers before this about the night being in L.A. and the election. And the night before, um, I was in a yoga class. And my yoga instructor was like, I can't teach. She was walking around. <laughs> I, can't, I can't relax. I can't teach. And she said, I feel like this is the battle between good against evil. <laughs> like, just teach the yoga class, lady. Like, isn't yoga supposed to be against, you know, like, help us with this? Help us in these. Yoga should help you. Yeah, it should. Well, um, uh, so here I am. I am thrilled to have you. <laughs> I, 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 I've read your writing, and I think you're brilliant. Thank a you. Brilliant writer. I have a hard time accepting compliments, but oh, it's, I'm going to take I mean, it. <laughs> I think you're a, um, you know, an Ernest Hemingway. Okay, a, thank you. No, no, seriously, <laughs> because you have a lot in common with him in some ways. Mm-hmm. You know, you are brutally honest, mm-hmm. and I think that's what makes you refreshing. Mm-hmm. It's not your writing. Your writing is beautiful. Thank you. But your your attitude is like. <laughs> it's like you're in a desert and it's a drink of water. You know what I mean? It's just a big glass of water with a sign that says, there's more here. Yeah. But you are, you're just willing to put literally everything out. Yeah. I, I mean, what's the point of going through any of it if I can't help other people or help? I, that was something I learned even writing at Playboy 
But what's interesting, again, is that I, when I was speaking to somebody about this just yesterday, I've become a firebrand for being like saying what people think or being reason, you know, reasonable. reasonable. That seems that's not it shouldn't be controversial. I said this on Dave. It shouldn't be controversial that somebody is looking at both sides, evaluating them and saying, OK, here's where you're crazy. Here's where you're crazy. I agree with some of what you're saying. I that's the way this is supposed to work. It's not supposed to be Game of Thrones. <laughs> so um, conservatives, what do you think a conservative is? Well, this is um, something that's interesting because I don't know. <laughs> I don't either. I mean, I mean, I really don't either. I, I don't know anymore. And yeah. I don't know when I kind of stumbled. And this is the book I'd like to write is how I ended up going from basically getting sober and they, they say, when you get sober, you aren't going to recognize who you are. And I'm like, I'm a conservative. <laughs> <laughs> now I really need to drink. Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> like, light years away. And um, writing for Playboy. And then here, you know, if there's, and I was joking today with my friend, if there's any evidence of a simulation, it is this interaction right now. <laughs> this moment is evidence. You would never have, you would have never pictured yourself no, here. No, if someone had told me five and a half years ago, like, you're going to get sober, and in five and a half years, you're going to be on Glenn Beck, I'd be like, give me whatever drugs you're on. I need them now. It's just not, it, it wasn't, and it wasn't like, what I've realized is really how it is ignorant I am and I've been kind of joking about um how I'm the moron majority I was I'm and I I mean that lovingly but most I was working Mm -hmm. and just trying to get by and waitressing and wanted to be a writer by the way maybe like drunk for 20 years Mm -hmm. and had my head down and then suddenly I started I got sober (laughs) started writing which was always my dream and then and then the election happened and suddenly I'm in the like caught in the crossfire of these culture wars I'm like did I even know what it meant to be a democrat did I even know what it meant to to, to do I don't know anything about right I just know that um, I sobered up at 30. Yeah. And I realized I'm a moron. <laughs> that's that's I'm really a moron. That's really the moment you're it catching is. me at. Yeah. Is, uh, and it's r- around that time. I think they say too, around five years where you pull your your, your head out of your bum. You and so I, I definitely don't feel I feel out of my depth most of the time. I, I feel <laughs> you will remember this as the best time of your life because you are. You are at a, such a steep learning curve yeah. where you're just questioning everything where mm-hmm. you're like, because I, I, I took everything out of me because I was like, I don't know anything. Mm-hmm. I know what people told me, but mm-hmm. I didn't learn any of this on no. my own. So I took everything out of me and I couldn't afford to go to college. I went one semester. <laughs> I, that's me. Yeah. So I went to the library yeah. and to the bookstore and I got all the books of the people I think would hate each other. Oh, and I would, this is what I'm doing right now. Is it? Yeah, I, it's yeah, it and is. you're like, if I could, if I could just get these two to argue, you know, and see I'd if see. there's any intersection, because mm-hmm. where it intersects, that's universal truth. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Where they agree. OK, we know that's true because these guys don't agree on anything. Right. And and I started putting it all back in. And it's hard. Right. It's hard because you're like, I, I remember so many times going. Oh, I, no, I don't want to be. I'm right. I'm a Mormon. Right. I, I didn't grow up a Mormon. 
I chose to be a Mormon. <laughs> Nobody chooses that. Yeah. Nobody's like, hey, I want to be a pariah and a weirdo. Mm -hmm. I didn't. Now, that's the last thing. And I remember going, oh, my God. Yeah. And, but that's good. It is. It is. It's, I, it's being, I said yesterday, I feel like I'm playing a giant high stakes game of improv where it's like, yes, and now I'll go on Glenn Beck. And yes, and why not? I mean, it's, it, and, but, but it's invigorating. Not, but you're not, but you're not just, you know, there, there's a part of Ernest Hemingway <laughs> that is reckless. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, I don't think you're reckless. I don't think you're just like, I'll get in the world. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I, because I deeply care about humanity. And so I think the fear is when I get the nonstop uh, backlash of how much water I'm carrying for Nazis, there is the, you know, <laughs> self, the self, it's a lot of water. Apparently. I know. No, I know. You know. I got, I got the. Uh, Defender of Israel Award <laughs> from Benjamin Netanyahu. Okay, <laughs> he presents it. At the same time, I'm being called a Nazi. This, I'm like I don't. This I'm, happens a lot. This yeah, happens a lot. I I find myself too just being in that space, um, taking hits on behalf of no one really. But I'll be getting called a Nazi on the left and getting attacked by the alt right. And that's always a weird thing where I'm, really? I'm like, can you tell the alt right that? Yeah, right. <laughs> so they stop doxing me. Right. <laughs> I'd appreciate that if they had that but memo. Aren't they, in some ways, it's I think like they're the same. It's like two sides of the same coin. Yeah, mm. they're, they're both big statist, my way or the highway, mm. you know, bullies. Bullies. And the, the, again, the openness to have your mind change, to change. I think that that's, uh, it, I've had to reinvent myself so many times in my life. It doesn't scare me to be open to the fact that I don't know anything. I don't know anything, anything. And it is embarrassing. Part of it is embarrassing at how ignorant I am. It's so embarrassing. I mean, no, 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 it's not. It's, it's, no. it's very humbling. Yes, you know? that is the it's point. Very... That, we are, you know, most of my problems when I was at Fox, almost every mistake I ever made was because I was certain. Mm -hmm. The one thing yeah. I'm certain of now, I'm not certain of anything. Right. I don't know anything. And the the more you realize, I I, I don't really know the the more humble you get and the more willing you're able to if if i don't sit with somebody i vehemently disagree with and i think is an honest broker there's a difference between right right you know there's those people who are not honest brokers and, right but people who are honest brokers people who are i am absolutely willing to change my mind if you can present the facts you know and you show me okay look this and this and this, this is what it's saying. Now, we don't know for sure. Great. But you show me the facts. I'll debate and I'm willing to change if I'm wrong. I want to be a lot of times I want to be wrong. Right. Although it's sometimes hard to prove a negative. So that is where I have to watch myself because I'm <laughs> I ha I'm bad at a lot of this, you know, you mean proven negative, like coming from a place of, um, well, we're not sure you can speculate. But then there's 
what I see too is sometimes it's like speculating and then it drifts into like conspiracy theorizing. And again, I see this, see this like on everywhere essentially. So I, I, and I have to watch myself that I'm, I'm very easily, I I always come from a place of like, well, I don't know. Anything could be true, but yeah, no, I don't mean that. I mean, because look, I'm willing to look for answers. Right. And if there is an answer and you can show it to me uh, and I have a different opinion. Okay. Well, there's the answer and I see it. I see how it works. Okay. Got it. Now I'm a denier. If I, if I deny that. Right. However, um, when there isn't an answer, then we both have to agree. You have an opinion. Right. I have an opinion. Right. And we're going to have to work through that. Right. And I shouldn't shut you up and you shouldn't shut me up. Right. Because it could go either way. We don't know. I just it's so interesting to me that people don't want to talk. There are people who are untouchables. You may be one of them where, for instance, you know, <laughs> <I'm the leper. laughs> you know, <laughs> welcome to my colony. It is this kind yes. of idea that you just if you go the guilt by association. And this is what I personally what happens when you're in this space of I don't know. OK, well, what do what are my values? This is what are my values? <laughs> you know, I, I feel like somebody like Ben Shapiro actually has been very inspirational to me and someone who, although we may, may not agree on everything, he mm-hmm. is very value based mm-hmm. and he has made me kind of step back and say, what are my values? I don't, I, I really value free speech. I was saying this to uh, Dave Rubin, you know, when I went off Twitter for 40 days, it gave me the ability to step back and look at all of these little micro arguments that we get into and the little, and it's hard. I mean, I, I, I engage, I, I partake. I can't help it. The trickster in me, the, the comedian mm-hmm. in me, mm-hmm. the part of me that likes mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. get a rise out of people. Is, See, we're not, we're not supposed to know so many people. No, we're not. Just not. We're not. It, we're not capable. We're we're supposed to know, you know, Bob, the neighbor <laughs> on the street who I wave to as I'm driving by and he's watering his lawn. That's all I know about Bob. That's right. all I need to know about Bob. Right. And we can all get along. We are ju- we we we're being exposed to all of these people. Right. And some of them are dumb as a box of rocks. Some of them are. <laughs> You know, it's immersion therapy. You know, (laughs) we would we would dismiss them. We would know we would have two conversations with them, one in the convenience store. And we would be like, "Okay, honey, I just saw Bob in the convenience store. I talked to him (laughs) for two minutes. Don't wave at him anymore. (laughs) And then it would be over. We're engaging with these people all the time like it matters. And it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. And yet here we are. It's the culture wars are so weird because. I, again, and this was something that I was saying on Ruben and that I have to ask myself is what is, you know, what, how am I, how am I maybe making this worse? <laughs> you know, like, there is a part of me that, and it, again, it's the, um, the part of me that is like South Parkian uh-huh. in my philosophy, uh-huh. um, I, I can't help but think everything is hilarious. And so it's another one of my values is comedy. It just right. is a value of mine. I've realized that. And free speech and comedy are so 
you know, they're, yeah, they're necessary and they're necessary for people. You need to be able to laugh at your pain. You need to be able to laugh at things that are taboo. You, you have to, you it's need why, that release. It's why dictators don't allow yeah. laughter about them. Yeah. Cause you can belittle it and you can move past it. Right. I mean, one of the things that I've noticed and I was just saying this is, uh, you have to kind of own People in my space, whatever space that is, I would say James Lindsay is a good example. Um, the IDW or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, any Anyone who's willing to have conversations with the axis of evil, <laughs> the new <laughs> axis of evil. Um, we are often labeled as grifters, which I feel like is a very convenient way to try and demonize people who are willing to have conversations with people that they might not see eye to eye on every single issue with. And I just kind of embrace it. I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm a grifter now. I just had Peter and James here. Oh, I love them. Yeah, I love them. I lo- they're brilliant. Yeah. James was on my podcast. And I he love is... these guys. Love them. Peter's sitting there and he says, about 40 minutes in, I have been trying to find things I disagree with you with, <laughs> and I can't. And it, it's it. we are so close to each other right we've let these we've let these lies or these little slivers of us on the edge um allow them to be our entire character it's like it's the flattening that's what i call (laughs) it it's like everything is just flat we are just flattening people we're flattening words words are losing meaning like nazis for example we're laughing about we probably we should be laughing, but we shouldn't. You know, it's it's one of those things. Well, Kate, where... Smith. Kate Smith did a song uh, and the Yankees and the what was it? The Flyers uh, uh, take her statue down. You know, she's Kate Smith. Right. Did, you know, God bless America. Right, right. She's been dead for like 50 <laughs> years. She did a song in 1931 that is called Why Darkies Are Born. OK. Uh, and you hear that and you're like, Right. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe. Why are we canceling dead people? They're already canceled. But but here's the crazy thing. That song was written for a Broadway show mocking um, white supremacists. Right. So it was a song. It was it was springtime for Hitler. We've got to we're going to Mel Brooks is in trouble, man. Oh, man. He's in trouble. He's in trouble. Everyone's in trouble. Any, a, a, everyone is in danger of getting canceled. And that is the interesting thing that I feel like, you know, wh- when it is serious to me, when I do say, well, what is my role in this? What, uh, how can I help in the conversation? And how am I hurting it? <laughs> and um, It's a fine line. It, it? it is a fine Hard. line. It, because I feel like I have to push the edge in order to get people to, feel liberated to talk about things. I love you. I love you. They wouldn't normally talk about. Yes. They would just, even with the, I feel like we've been living under mob law since like 2013. And I mean that by social media mob. And people always say, well, free speech, you can, you know, they're not going to come arrest you. No. But when you take someone in America's livelihood away, you might as well break their kneecaps like i will tell you that mob law has been around longer well, than no that. no no but i mean <laughs> yeah, in terms of that the mobbing i feel like where we're seeing i i say 2013 just because that was when i really that was the justine sacco the girl who got on the plane made the joke and landed yes. and her life was yes. ruined and i was like this, this is really bad guys yes, yes this behavior is yeah terrifying what's what's 
what's horrible is uh, we're entering a new phase. I mean, you know, the mobs have been destroying and smearing people mm-hmm. forever. Right. I mean, both sides. Of course. Forever. Of course. Okay. Um, I just only noticed it in 2015. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Um, but uh, <laughs> but when it uh, when it uh, when it turns like it did starting in 2013 mm. to where it's anyone like I when I was at Fox. Oh my gosh, I, I it was crazy, but it's part of my job, right? And I was just like you. I have to do comedy and I have to shake the tree to get people to listen to an hour monologue about Woodrow Wilson. Right. How do you make that number one on television at five o'clock in the afternoon? Right. You don't. Okay. <laughs> so you have to you have to you shake the tree. And so there's that balance mm. and you'll always get some of it wrong. You always will get mm-hmm. some of it wrong. Um However, when they start coming after you um, and they they're they're not just coming after you and destroying you, they are now coming after you, destroying you and erasing you. Right. Right. You're being erased. Right. Okay? If they can't if they don't need to replace your image with that cartoon of a <laughs> of a propaganda monster. Right. Okay, then what they do is they just erase you your mm. stuff. Try to find your writing from Playboy. It's gone. Gone. <laughs> and it's gone. It's um, gone. And that is apparently, you know, because they switched servers and perhaps uh-huh. they were trying to um, rebrand or pivot and they just wiped the slate clean, which uh-huh. I could, because it's not just me. I mean, uh, Kevin and Williamson. Like, yeah. What a surprise. But I and think Kevin. even, I think even my friend, um, my friend Zarin, he's a great writer. I, I believe his stuff is down. So I don't want to say it's only. Okay, so let's not talk about Playboy. Let's just, you are. But it is gone. <laughs> it is gone. <laughs> and I you're... did get unceremoniously dumped with no advance notice. <laughs> That is the truth. We are we are developing a world of we're book burning. I right know. We're not even book burning though. What's interesting is the recent thing of going after the girl who they canceled and then they had her retract her 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 book before it even got published. Can't burn can't burn a book if it's never been published. Right. It's like pre book burning. Right. And it's just removing books and things and ideas and people just gone. Right. But then also we're building ghetto walls. They're digital ghettos. Mm. You can talk all you want, say whatever you want, but that digital wall is here. We're not going to let anybody hear you. Mm. So you're still there. You're still doing your thing, Mm. but you can't make any money. You can't make Mm. any impact. You can't do anything because they've just said, no, you, you Jews are fine. You can just live here in this little area and we're just going to put a big wall around mm. you. And it's frightening because people, if we were building actual walls, people would say no. Mm. If we were actually removing people from society, we would say <laughs> no. Right. If we would actually burn books, they'd it's say no. Virtual. But it's all right. virtual. Interesting. Interesting. It is. It's a weird, that is the weird part of being in the space uh, that I see that it gives the people 
more attention. So the people that you're, they're maybe building walls around, are, they still have platforms. But yeah, what do you do when they're um, the stuff that worries me is like the demonetizations. Mm -hmm. And recently I'm on Patreon and recently um, I think MasterCard, I could be wrong. Somebody got one of the, I think it was MasterCard, but they said, we're not going to accept payment. Now, when mm -hmm. you're talking about the financial mm -hmm. backing, I mean, that is terrifying because that's terrifying to me. I, I don't know any way to look at that. I don't know any, I know that people can justify that, but that is again where I'm like, okay, in this middle, like of trying to find myself <laughs> on this journey. And there are lines where it's like free speech. Um, you should be able to make, you know, payment centers shouldn't be deciding who they will and won't take money based on what they're saying. That is, that's- I can guarantee you, this on YouTube will be demonetized. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't you you'll never watch any of these interviews that are interrupted with a, you know, just a inserted commercial. I tried happening. to. I did it to Ruben, too. I told him I was having a dream, you know, the night before yeah. I was nervous and I had a dream. And I said, you know, I can say anything. I'm not on Twitter. I can say boys and girls are different. And he was like, no, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I told him that dream. And he's like, thanks a lot, Bridget. We just got demonetized. <laughs> like, yeah, we're demonetized on everything. Always in mm. advance. It doesn't matter what I say. It's yeah, just it's me. weird. It's so it's so that stuff is. Because, you know, and this is something that's always been really interesting. And again, I don't know the answers. I've always been, as I've watched technology, really interested about free markets, technology, and freedom of speech and where they're going to intersect. Mm -hmm. Because those are, it's a wild west. We don't know. Mm -hmm. It's all brand new. Mm -hmm. We don't, we have never had uh, so much, like you said, connection and access and so many people relying on it for their livelihood. Mm-hmm. And it's where everybody is. My mm. nephews, I, was, I just spent a week with my nephews. They don't look at the TV. TV's done. No, done. Done. This generation, whatever it is, the millennials, last generation that will watch TV. Oh, yeah. They're, it's done. Mm -hmm. And they were on their phones and YouTube. They live mm -hmm. on YouTube. That mm -hmm. is, and so to act like YouTube demonetizing people is not uh, really deeply problematic. Uh, and uh, that it, it's... But the problem is, is um, <laughs> we're funding hate <laughs> and it depends on what the definition of hate is. And this is the thing that really bothered me. Um, you know, Google and YouTube and Facebook are working on algorithms. Right. To search for hate. Right. Well, wait, hold it. I don't think we're. I don't. Who determines that? Yeah, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it Who means. Who determines that? Right. And how do you apply the terms of service equally? If you're going to apply them equally and say, hey, the people who are, I call it the approved message. If you're speaking the approved message and you're saying whatever you want to say and mm -hmm. demonizing people in whatever way you want to say, and you're not getting away with it, okay, I will accept that you can apply these terms of service equally, but you're not. You're applying them only to one the people who aren't in the approved the approved message <laughs> let me um go to someplace maybe possibly sensitive okay um, it's a trap <laughs> <laughs> it's a trap all of a sudden i turned to that fish head guy i know it. Uh, uh, i i want to talk about um I, 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 
you 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 use you deflect a lot with comedy. Yes. Uh, and so I, I want to take you back to the experiences that you had um, that really kind of started you on this track of alcoholism, mm-hmm. I assume. Mm-hmm. Can you, are you willing to go there on? Yeah, I mean, as much as I can. Yeah, okay. Um, where, where do we begin? <laughs> um, uh I think I I think I was born an alcoholic. I really do. And even just my there are examples I can think of from my childhood. I'll give you a very simple one. My um God, he was my godfather. He gave me 2 pounds of gummy bears for my 10th birthday. <laughs> Haribo. And the only kind. And then, <laughs> and then I locked my, I'm the oldest of five. I locked myself in my dad's office, ate all of them because I didn't want to share and spent, <laughs> spent my 10th birthday throwing up. Yeah. And that, and I was addicted to sugar and I lied about it and I was sneaky about it. And books too. I would read books obsessively. I always feel like I've been trying to escape and get high. Those are, two, mm. those are two things that since I was before I even found alcohol, um, my parents got divorced and I found alcohol <laughs> mm. and I moved every year and a half and I never felt like I fit in anywhere and people were horrible to me. This is why I'm very sensitive to mobs. I was always the girl on the outside mm-hmm. and always I'm deeply distrustful of groups because I was bullied by everyone and yeah. all and all the time. I went to three eighth grades. That's a lot and two ninth grades and um those are bullying no because my parents are insane and (laughs) it's my mom and my step well my mom got remarried and um uh that was a lot and so we moved a lot and they didn't really know what to do with me being Mm. the oldest or where to put me and so they kept trying they just were trying to figure out where to put me in school and then um, I just started drinking and smoking when? weed when I was 12, 13. And then we have very similar stories. Yeah, but it was I, I didn't have to try and fit in in schools anymore because everywhere you go, there's a group of people that party. So it was I just took all of my and I was that girl that wanted to go to Harvard. And it's I might cry if I talk about this, but because it's those things that um, I feel like. I've had to forgive myself for is and and my parents and in uh you know talking about having resentments and things that I work a program at 12 step program so I look at things like resentments and that uh feeling like I got derailed off of like my uh potential was somehow derailed by all of the stuff that was going on in our household which was uh I don't ever really talk about this publicly. It, it was it was insane. My uh, there was a lot of mental illness, and um, so you know, my mom killed herself. It, okay, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm down with mental illness. My folks got a divorce. Yeah, I started drinking and smoking pot. Same age. Yeah, You're I was trying to escape a pretty nutty, uh, um like home life and then it just continued i mean i just kept on i was so lost i i i was lost i was i i was in rehab at 19 and you would think that that would have kind of put me back on the path so i 
basically started drinking at 12 and then it progressed pretty steadily and by the time i was 17 i was just full blown and um did you finish school i finished high school and that barely my senior year was uh my second half of my senior year i almost failed out and then i went i was working in a restaurant and we were down i had a fake id and we were downtown and a guy um roofied me and then i woke i got drugged and raped and um after that everything escalated i went i started going to college but um i was pretty much full-blown alcoholic at that point and was running from a lot of pain and then even more pain and then um i was i escalated to hard drugs were you angry an angry drunk no no i wasn't like that i was not i I, it didn't manifest that way for me at all i hear a lot of stories of people like getting in fights and stuff and i was pretty happy-go-lucky actually and um i always thought i was a better person when i was drunk yeah (laughs) i wasn't i I might have been (laughs) (laughs) um i mean a lot of people would argue i probably am sitting here and so (laughs) like get start drinking again bridge (laughs) start smoking weed yeah that's like how much weed was i smoking (laughs) um and i ended up in rehab at 19 for heroin and weirdly can you tell me the experience of heroin yeah, it it's great. <laughs> no, um, it was. It, <laughs> it's not. We've great. just been monetized uh, again. <laughs> <laughs> we're making we're we're making the money now <laughs> by a cartel. <laughs> um, no, it's it's it was the relief I always sought. So my brain is loud. People who are listening to this might realize that by now. I have, it races all the time. I have, it takes a village now for me to keep my, I'm very concerned with, you know, mental, mental health and addiction. These are things that I could talk for hours about mm-hmm. because I have so much experience with it. And I just think, I see what it takes now to keep me kind of even keel. And it's, it's a lot. And so I, and I had no coping tools. I had nothing. No, no one gives you those coping tools when you're young which we should be giving kids, like how to regulate themselves emotionally and how mm-hmm. to talk about something that maybe traumatic happened to them or whatever. And when the first time I, I smoked heroin primarily um, until right before I quit. And uh, I just remember the first time it was like nirvana, like it was just quiet. And I can get there now with meditation and um yoga. yoga unless it's the day before the election i was actually thinking it was funny because i was doing this uh crying in a garage as i call it but it's breath work and i was it was this was like last week and and i was sitting there doing my breathing and and crying and i was like god if glenn could see me now <laughs> does he know who he's having on this program and then i started thinking i want to do that with you i'm like can we do can we do a series where it's me and glenn doing hippie stuff together i would, would love be that amazing. I would love that. Goat yoga, <laughs> breath work. <laughs> I took yoga for a while. Oh, yeah. It's the most, it's one of the hardest workouts. Oh, yeah. And in the middle, <laughs> I'd be like, I can't fall <laughs> 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 right dead to sleep. <laughs> it's the hardest and the most relaxing you at the same time. Ba- yeah. I'm worried that maybe you were passing out. So I <laughs> wasn't sleeping. You were just passing out. 
Um, so I, I definitely, I was in, in rehab, um, but it was, it was quiet. My brain was quiet and I, it was a quick race to the bottom for me. I didn't, I don't do anything really. Yeah. Yeah. And I just was essentially within a year was in rehab. It took me down. I was 89 pounds. I was in the hospital wow. and then I put myself in rehab. It was, um, uh, I, I knew I had totally one of those like cliche independent film moments where I'd come back. I was out in LA with my boyfriend and I reached for something in my bathtub and then I caught a glimpse in the mirror and I could see every rib and I looked in the mirror and I was just nothing. There was no, no one was home. It was that soulless dead eye, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, what have I become? <laughs> <laughs> this week on Lifetime. I, totally, I mean, I am like an after school special cliche. <laughs> like the, every single one. It's so I always joke about that. Like I'm just the cliche after school special girl. Like take all of those and that's me. Other than, well, the cult thing too. And the cult wait the cult thing. Well, the, there's the whole I accidentally ended up in a in a sex cult. It's a whole long story. I wrote about it. Um, so it's usually not something you just like. And the cult thing, you know, it's a sex cult thing. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, the after school special. <laughs> yeah, that's that might be for HBO. We have the ABC after school special. In so I, <laughs> yeah, I de- I went to rehab, and these women saved my life. That was the first the first time my life was saved. Um, they, I was there. I stayed in a halfway house for seven months, and I learned coping tools. But I was also really young, and I decided that as long as I never did heroin again, I was good. Mm-hmm. You know, good to go because I still wasn't ready to stop. And honestly, it is a. Mi- I, I got sober at thirty five. I'm forty. It is a miracle that I Lived. made it to thirty five. It truly is. And then it was like what I call the dark years. Then I basically I was in the pro in the program and um, in a 12 step program. And then I blamed everything on the program and I read all the books and I litigated. You know, I read like how a failed me and I, I I built up my case so that I could successfully leave and not have that head full of of all that knowledge and a belly full of booze. This this um, I, I was talking to Tony Robbins recently, and he said, "I love him. I do too. <laughs> he's a great guy. I love him His so much. Wife, he saved me. Honestly, he doesn't really? know it. He's a great, but guy. he has. So, um, but he was saying that there was a guy that uh, came up to him. He uh, he quit smoking. He helped. This is early on in his career. He helped him quit smoking. <laughs> And uh, the guy came up to him five years, uh, no, like uh, 10 years later and said, you failed me. (laughs) And he said, what? He said, do you remember me? And it was early in his career. And he actually did remember. He said, yeah, you were a guy who stopped smoking. He said, well, how long did it last? He said, five years. (laughs) He said, five years. Then my wife left me and I just went out and smoked. He's like, no, dude, I didn't fail you. (laughs) You failed you. Yeah, and a people a lot of people have a lot of perceptions about twelve steps and whatnot, and um, I don't think that there's one solution for everybody, especially because when you start taking apart um, what leads somebody to addiction, you'll find there's either sometimes someone will get sober and it's like, oh, you're bipolar and you really just need medicate, you know, you were self medicating, yeah. and sometimes it's. Um, In my instance, it was uh, just a series of maybe genetics (laughs) Mm -hmm. and also then life piled on top of it. And I just spent most of my 20s not even being like, hey, to each their own. I was like, 
anti. I was one of those people that was like, mm. oh, those idiots in their fear-based program <laughs> doing something better for their lives and helping other people. How dare they? I just was, I had to be against it because I knew, I think, and it is amazing the lengths I went to to avoid going back in. I mean, yoga. I, I, I learned, I became a yoga instructor. I did a lot of therapy, you know, hallucinogenics, any, anything that you, I could try to, to manage. And eventually I just, I ended up and it's been, it, I used to hate when everybody said like, everything in my life should be stamped with property of A. <laughs> and now I'm like, yeah, that, that's me. So, so what was it that you were avoiding? Um, when? The inventory? Um, the inventory? The shame. So I think from, from, for me, I feel uh, what's, you know, it really came up when I quit Twitter again. I said, I've been joking. I said, I have been sober five and a half years and I've had Twitter the whole time. And I quit. I didn't go on. I was, and I realized how much of an escape mechanism it was for me and how much I was using it. And the feelings, a lot of the shame I've dealt with, I would say the first round of onion peeling that I did in terms of what is going on um, was just shame, shame about feeling like I had failed myself feeling like I had failed because you could have gone my parents. Harvard. Yeah. Things like that. Stupid things. Mm -hmm. um, but that was my one and only dream. And so then I had to, again, at 19, really reinvent myself. And that's when I realized at 19 that I wanted to be a writer and that I didn't necessarily need college for that. So um, all of this kind of happened at the same time, realizing that that was my path. This this most recent round, as uncomfortable as it is for me to admit publicly, I is um, just feelings of worthlessness, like really deep, deep, I might cry. Um, it's like right here. <laughs> uh, deep feelings of worthlessness. And that has kind of, I've run from that, I think, my whole life. And that, you know, it's interesting to see how I, all of the ways in which I react to rejecting myself, the ways that I did, the ways I reacted to shame, the promiscuity, the, it's like those reactions that I had to these feelings that I didn't know how to cope with. After, um, after getting raped, it was so, I don't know how to explain it. You just feel like, broken and I think I spent a long time running from that and it's a miracle I lived like I lived through it um, because a lot of people don't and I've seen a lot of people come in and that's what happens that's a hard thing about getting sober is facing yourself honestly and so that inventory the looking at what my part is, even in something that w I was truly a victim, um, even in looking at how I had abandoned myself long before even that, looking at how I reacted to it. So it's not even in those instances, it's not necessarily even what happens to me that I have to take responsibility for, but how I reacted to that event in my life and the wreckage that I caused in response to it. 
is that's on me. You know, it's I I have to take responsibility for it. I, I, I forgive the fact that I didn't have many coping mechanisms or tools or, um, you know, it's funny. And I'm sitting here thinking one of the things that's hard about being online and being open online is like sometimes the trolls are right, <laughs> you know, sometimes in the alt-right, and I've read these articles that they write about me from the alt-right of like, and the men's rights activists, and they say, you know, like, oh, and her stepdaddy issues and her, and her, um, and like, she probably got raped and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, yeah, they're right. And that is when, uh, that hurt that hurts because they're right and then i'm like am i just react like a massive reaction <laughs> to am i just projecting a reaction i don't i don't want to be doing that um it's amazing if you are um this is really honest <laughs> if you're a thinking and feeling human being <laughs> how how good it is, and yet we don't talk about it, how good it is to look at those comments and ask yourself, gosh, am I just that? And, and, and that's, you know, that's, I think part of the problem with the society today is we're pain Mm-hmm. is awful mm-hmm. pain is good mm-hmm. what what happens i think you know i can separate myself and say that's not just me when i'm in a good place for instance um what is you know my therapist said i worry about you on twitter because you already feel like you're worthless and you already feel like you're garbage you go back to that first take me to the difference if there is any between feeling worthless and feeling broken. And if there is a difference, what is it and how are they connected? I don't know. That's a really good question. I feel like the worthlessness, I don't know what I've really, I mean, it sounds so, I, cause I was joking that I went off Twitter and for Lent and found God. And I really wasn't joking. I really feel like the antidote to worthlessness is God. It's the only thing that really I've been able, it's that idea of the God-sized hole, the thing that I've been trying to fill with men, no pun intended, <laughs> um, like all all of the substances, hopefully money. Just kidding. <laughs> we'll see if that fills it. Um, I don't project a lot. <laughs> it won't, it won't. <laughs> Not at least but I need to know. I need to know for myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that I, the feeling broken was more of a reaction to an event that happened to me feeling worthless i feel like that was something i brought to the table i felt that way and again i don't know so much happened i don't know if it was from moving i don't know if it was always feeling isolated i don't know if it's part of you know being the kind of addict mentality which i feel like i see a lot of addicts struggle with that feeling of worthlessness or uselessness and that um or if it was parenting as much as I hate to say that publicly because I love my parents and feel that they really did the best that they could 
um, which is what people always say when they're like, no, they didn't do the best they could. <laughs> um, they didn't do a great job. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they did. Um, they did. And they did instill morals in me. And I do think forgiveness and compassion is something that I really, in all areas of my life and gratitude, these are things that they help me to heal that part of me that feels worthless. It just... But it creeps up. And then when I'm getting mobbed online and I put on a good front and I can I can I do deflect your right a lot with humor and got good on you for seeing right through that. But I think there is a disintegration that occurs and probably from trauma. And this is the weird thing about trauma. And I've learned a lot more about trauma is that when that filter kind of takes over when I'm in a place where that's been triggered, which is a word that's been co-opted, but it does happen. I feel like that's the only lens I can see myself through. So suddenly I am a grifter. I am a hack. I am carrying water for Nazis. I am worthless. I am garbage. I am a slut. I am a whore. I am all of the, I mean, the horrible things that get lobbed at you anonymously. All, and I do a pretty good job of not really paying attention to it or seeing it, but you see it. It's It comes through. And so then I have a hard time remembering that I'm not that, that I'm I'm, you know, Bridget, who has a dog that she rescued and she's cleaning up its poop in her backyard. Like, come, I have to come into the, into real life, I think helps when you're in that, uh, the internal shame spiral is virtual, you know, that it's a, it's, and the virtual world is a weird perfect kind of mirror of that internal, I mean, I was walking in LA and I don't want to swear, but this guy, he was a homeless man and he was screaming and he was like, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> he's like, I can't think too loud, shut up. And he was screaming at me and I was like, brain? <laughs> <laughs> did you? Did you just come out yeah, of my head? Like, did I didn't re- I've been trying to divorce this part of me. I didn't realize you were homeless now. I'm sorry. Um, but that is, you know, I, I that's listen. How, that's how... That's how I know when I'm doing well. How? I know you can relate. When I can be alone with no music, mm-hmm. no distractions, mm-hmm. no TV on in the background, because there are times, I just did it this morning. Uh, I was reading something and it triggered something, a memory of me, and, and like a bad memory of me that mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. And I went, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where you're just like, make noise, make noise. I'm not thinking of that. And it, it, it used to happen all mm-hmm. the time. And when you're, when you're, when you've truly let go of it and you've truly dealt with it and, um, made the amends and accepted the forgiveness for yourself Mm -hmm. um you uh that goes away Mm -hmm. but when you are constantly being picked at Mm -hmm. constantly being pointed to and saying you're a bad person Mm -hmm. it's dangerous and i think that's and why do you do it you know what that's the question i ask myself why do you what is the bigger thing that drives you to 
continue to take the hits and to keep going forward because by all accounts, somebody like me probably shouldn't be doing what I'm doing because I'm not a victim. I'm choosing to, to take, we're putting ourselves in this position. We're saying what we're saying and there are consequences of our speech, but what drives you, you know, there's, I'm still at the point where I'm like, yeah, I could check out and like, oh, <laughs> go move to tr- I mean, you, you're oh, more I'm, at the point than me. Yeah. I'm still at the point there. There are but, several times a year. I look to my wife and go, you realize we could just pack everything we up. We already have a house in the mountains. Mm-hmm. We'll never have to talk to anybody again and mm-hmm. we'll be happy. Why are we doing this? So what motivates you? Um, God. Mm. Uh, history. When I, I grew up a Beck mm-hmm. and, you know, all guys are fascinated by World War II documentaries, mm. but Beck is a German name. Mm-hmm. And I know there were Becks there. My family wasn't, but I know my relatives had to be over there. Which side were they on? Mm. What did they do? What did they say? Um, and the more I read about history, there are these epic moments mm-hmm. in history. And I want my grandchildren to be able to stand up and say, you know, when that time came, here's what my grandma and grandpa did. Mm-hmm. And, and not, be, have to, not have to just, you know, hang their head and go, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know. We really never talked about that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, this is the interesting. Don't you want to be somebody? We're going through McCarthy era mm. right now, and I think it's going to get worse, but we're going through McCarthy era right mm. now. Don't you want your kids to be the one that said, you know, my mom, she stood up. My mom went to jail for it mm. because she knew it was wrong. So, yeah, and it's funny being in the middle, seeing both of the, the hearing both of the sides now that I've woken up. Um, and the other side would say that we are on the wrong side of history. You know, that, that's, so what's me, it, that's what's interesting to me in terms of the, the everyone feeling like they're on the right side of history. <laughs> so, but let me ask you this. You give me faith, and so do so many others, that, and I, I, don't, I don't ever want to, paint a broad brush that there's the right side of history mm-hmm. and the, everybody on this side is on the right side. Cause mm-hmm. I know a lot of people on the conservative side, I think they suck. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah. I think they're off target. And if, if I would t- define a conservative, what I am okay. is I am trying to conserve those things of value that have helped us be a great people. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of crap that we've done. That's bad Mm -hmm. but let's conserve the bill of rights Mm -hmm. let's conserve um uh the constitution as written not the way we're doing it let's conserve decency let's conserve reason right and and logic and science right you know not just i'm going to make up a word and tell you what it is the Mm -hmm. due process Mm -hmm. i think we need to conserve those things beyond that you know what? We can fight all all day long, but right. those things are being lost right now. 
That's where I feel. I mean, that was what I was saying to someone the other day. If if I can't say boys and girls are different, you know, I I I guess that makes me a conservative. You know, if if well, I if I'm defending, if I feel like that that saying that people, if I feel like I should be able to say that, and now people are saying, well, you know, you're, you're out, you're out. Then it's the purity. That is like one of the purity tests, you right? Know? And you know, but you know what? That's how you know you're on the right side. If look, if if I'm on, I will have anybody mm. on the show as long as you're an honest broker. Mm. If you're willing to change your mind, and I'm not saying I'm going to change your mind, but mm. if you're willing, if you're open to go, you know, I don't know, I don't know. If you're willing to be an open, honest person, broker, no matter how much we disagree. I want to have a conversation because I'm going to learn something from you, mm-hmm. you know, and and I know I'm on the right side when when I'm saying I'm open. Let's mm-hmm. talk. Let's talk because it only makes us better. Right. We have to have each other and we have to talk. Mm-hmm. And if another, if the other side is saying shut up or you're ostracized, <laughs> I know you are. I, I've seen the movies. You're usually dressed in a black uniform. <laughs> That is the danger. I think that's, I mean, that's why, this is why I'm here. It's right. Not, it's, and that's why I have hope because you're not alone. There are so many people who we don't, we, I don't even know. Right. We might disagree on a ton of really right, big right, things. Right. But you and I could live next door to each other. Right. We could be friends. I, we would be, we'd be fine forever. Yeah. We would have strong disagreements probably. Right. But we'd be friends. That gives me hope. How many people on the conservative side do you see going over to the left and joining the left and saying, you know what? Uh, I'm with you guys. I I still believe the things that I believe. I still believe that the border is out of control or whatever, but I'm with you guys because you guys will at least talk common sense. You're not seeing an intellectual, deep intellectual discovery on the conservative side moving over because the other side is shutting down all intellectual variations. Right. It's, it's interesting because I have seen a lot of people come from the right as you know, there's been that there, there, there seems to be a migration (laughs) into the center from both camps. And that is one area where even the people coming from the right, they're like, okay, yeah, I can see how maybe I was blind in some respects and whatever. Yeah. Let me just, may I just, clarify because i want to make sure we're talking about the same thing i'm not saying i'm saying um the center is not the center as people always identify it Mm -hmm. i see totalitarianism i don't care if it's right or left european right or left i see that over here Mm -hmm. okay i see freedom lovers in this general area Mm -hmm. okay they can disagree on everything but they agree with you should have a right to say it. You should right to live your life your own way. Mm. You should be able to marry whoever you want. These people cannot tell you one way or another anything. So I see those who are those early 20th century dictator kind of progressive <laughs> kind of thought before dictator was a bad word. Mm-hmm. I see those people over here and I see average people moving away from that and coming here and going, mm-hmm. look, I don't agree with you on anything, but those people are nuts. <laughs> yeah. Is I that see. the same? Yeah. I, I think that what you see from people coming from the right is that they're seeing elements of it 
from that side too. So that's what you hear from the refugees from the right. So from my perspective, I see elements. I'm like, every it's encroaching. It's the there's the extremists have kind of hijacked the parties Mm -hmm. and. And most people are afraid to speak out against the approved message just because the approved message is so strong. And in that battle in the middle where you're kind of trying to find your way, you're like, well, I don't want to like I don't want to agree with I I don't agree with this. But this is this is terrifying. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think a lot of people are bumping Mm -hmm. around in the middle and they just are instead of because they have jobs and kids and. They, I have, and I was saying this on Ruben, you know, I've seen mommies get shamed out of mommy groups. I've seen people, it, it's so, it's so radicalized. It's, it's created this binary. And again, it's the flattening, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people who aren't flat. They're humans like me who I'm not, I don't think a bad person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I try to be of service. I try to help people. I really care about the more evergreen topics like addiction and mental health and and sex and relationships and free speech. And that is the hill I feel like I pro- I'm dying on. You know, that's that's the fight where I started and I started noticing it in LA. I started noticing it in editorial ways pre-election so this was already kind of happening and i noticed that i started self-censoring and it has been interesting getting all these emails from people all across the political spectrum people from the right people from the left people there's a certain amount of you know polite self-censoring that we all do to maintain civility and decency and and just being human but when people are afraid that they'll lose their job because they are speaking an opinion or I can't tell you how many how many people have come out to me as libertarians in L.A. where they were like they're, they're basically like I'll never work. I'll never work again if it even comes out that mm-hmm. I listen to Ben Shapiro or, mm-hmm. you know, people will recognize me and mm-hmm. say, oh, I saw you on the Rubin Report. And I'm like, oh, I see ya. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I see you. So that to me is that happens, dangerous. That happens on the right too. I mean, I went from the hero of the right to uh, Donald Trump scares the hell out of me. Yeah. Uh, and ostracized. I mean, uh, it's just, you, you, it is, it is, you must play for the team. Right, right. And my team is like, common sense, facts, and reason. Right. And, you don't have a record here of doing any of those things or being for any of those things. Right. And the rhetoric surrounding it is really frightening. You know, now that he has a track record, I can separate the rhetoric and him, which I still feel the same way about, and some of his policies compared to the policies of, of over here. But you can't, you, all subtlety is lost now. It's good to push back. You know, I think people who push back, especially in particular about um, even, I guess, in your instance, I didn't realize that you kind of came out against Trump. That no, no, I would say I was probably enemy number one oh, in Trump's world. OK, see, I, have, yeah. I just woke up in 2013. Um, <laughs> I didn't. 20, 2018 was it was after or 2016 was after 2013. I know, but I didn't really have to start caring about <laughs> okay, any of this. Right, okay. Then, OK, all right, OK, <laughs> I was blissfully all ignorant right. with my privilege <laughs> right. just floating through life, <laughs> drunk and high. Yeah. Um, and even sober, I was just 
just like trying to get no, sober. Holy cow. Those two years were. Yeah. So I, I think the reaction, the natural reaction of like, oh, this is not a decent person yeah. <laughs> is a, a normal reaction is. to have. It that is. is a it's an OK reaction yeah. to have. And I see people on the right get absolutely crucified for this. And it is and I and this is really where I stand. It's not really any the politics I'm, you know, learning about. Um, but I'm just like, can we return to decency? Because I see the demonization uh, of people and it's I see it on both sides. I know that everybody yeah. hates that term, both sides. But I do see uh, it's not just there's no, you, there hasn't been a lack of decency. Look, I, you can do you can end it with uh, Donald Trump. If you don't like Donald Trump or don't support Donald Trump and you're on the right, you are from hell because these people are after us. People are afraid. to, And I am, too, about what some of these socialists want to do to the right, country. Right. And some of them are the people around them are crazy, radically scary. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I can judge myself what I like and what I don't like. Same thing, though. If you wear a Trump hat, you're a racist. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. Don't I mean, we've gone from don't judge me by the character of my skin to don't judge me by the color of my hat. Yeah, it's 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 so there's no subtlety. Mm. There's no reason look i don't i don't like everything that this person does but i don't hate everything this person does and we used to be great because we had differing opinions and we would push back and meet kind of hopefully somewhere in the middle and it was this swing and now it just feels like no one is listening to each other and it seems to be increasing as we approach 2020 my hope for people is that they i understand the urge to retreat into a tribe because it's 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 scary and it's natural it's natural it's also terrifying when Mm -hmm. you're out there just alone in the middle trying to be nuanced god forbid you get battered by everyone and so i you feel really alone yeah there's nobody isolating people who will read you and will support you. But they won't but share me. will not share it. No. I've had yeah. people reach out to me yeah. and say, I love that article. I can never share it. And so then it is that isolating, you know, being in L.A., I think without Twitter, I would have gone crazy because I felt so ideologically isolated. I thought I was losing my mind when I started pushing back a little bit and feeling And so much of it is insidious. That is what I always say about censorship. You know, people, when they say, they'll push back and say, well, they're not knocking on your door and they're not locking you up for saying, yet it starts in the mind, self-censorship. Censorship starts here. It starts when you start being quiet and putting your head down and not not saying this because you're afraid. I was in, uh, I was in Poland. And I was with the chief rabbi of Poland. Mm -hmm. And he said, proudly, there are 7,000 righteous among the nations here. Now, you know what the righteous righteous among the nations are those who stood up and saved a Jew. Okay. Okay. So there was like 6,000, 6,800, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you're happy about that? How many millions of people lived here? And he looked at me and I had a totally different perspective and I didn't understand it at the time. I do now. He's like, do you realize what those people risked? Mm -hmm. He said, most people would not even come to the window Mm -hmm. because if you came to the window and you opened the curtains, 
you got whatever punishment they were getting. Mm. Okay, so they were trained. Don't mm. just look down, look down, look down, look away. We're being trained. Look down and look away. Yeah. When we see something, you know, it's such it's so I feel so, you know, I see I see elements of this kind of when marginalized have been repressed or oppressed or you know that to act like that doesn't happen either is where i i get i get upset when because this is what i mean about the flattening the flattening is like you're in in this camp or in that camp you either believe and we're not and then we're not i think you know it's like like conservatives just don't care about anyone that when you asked me what i thought a conservative was my gut instinct is like well, you you like money and you don't care about anyone. <laughs> That's what I was raised with, right? Crazy. That's the factory settings. Right. And I have learned and talked with many conservatives now and had many conversations. And maybe it is the getting older because there's that old joke of, you yeah, know, yeah. like you're a liberal in your 20s and if you're yeah. or whatever it is. So you don't have a heart if you're liberal in your 20s. Yeah. You don't have a head if you're not conservative <laughs> exactly. in your 40s. Um, maybe it's just the natural, the circle of life. I don't think so. I think conservatives, I think it is strangely finally being understood that a lot, not all, a lot of conservatives are for the Bill of Rights. Yeah. And so we don't disagree with the Bill of Rights, mm-hmm. freedom of speech. And um, the left has always gotten that label of we're for freedom of speech. Well, no, no, you're not. Right. You're not for freedom of speech. You're for freedom of speech. You put a cross, you know, in a jar of urine. Mm-hmm. You can do that all your day. But if I put a statue of Obama in a jar of urine, mm-hmm. n- you know, no funding for me. But it, so, yeah. so it, there's a, this place to where good people on the right and the left are saying, I don't care what either of you do right right i don't care right it's, it's it not is it's a because most people one of the interesting things that was being exposed to conservative circles so suddenly i was being exposed online and i'd been exposed to kind of getting the the left draggings or whatever mm-hmm. um pylons mm-hmm. i hadn't and then I, because conservatives were sharing my work, I suddenly was getting, and then some of the, the underbelly there, it, I hadn't seen that where I'd be like, hey, you know, we need to be for free speech. And they'd be like, yeah. And then something super racist. And I'm like, no, 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 that's, that's not what I'm saying, guys. Like, not going there. So I'm going to say the N word. Like, no. No, 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 that's, uh, we're not on the same team. You, yeah. You have a right to say it, but I'm not like, with yeah, you. Yeah. And you should be in the kitchen pregnant. Like, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So to act like there isn't, you know, and by the way, misogyny is the underbelly. That's something like, like I to act like I'm only exposed to it on the right is not true. I am exposed to it. I get it on from all sides. Um, but because it's people, because it's people. And but it was interesting to see like okay, to turn a blind eye to the race to racism anywhere is is not uh, you know that's not okay either. No, it's it's, <laughs> it's like I don't sometimes think anybody, look. I don't think I don't know those people. Yeah. and if I do know those yeah. people, I'm like. Okay, I don't think we're friends anymore. I mean, it's it's it exists mm-hmm. and it's real. Sometimes I'll tweet something and then um, someone like who has a large following like that will retweet me. Um, 
with that kind of underbelly yeah. and then I'll immediately tweet something that just sheds all of them. I'm like, right. I'm, I'm not who you think I am, guys. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> just like a hashtag, uh, uh, whatever I can say to get rid of like this, this group that just came in and thinks something. It's just been, it's wild. You know, it is wild online and out there and staying centered and in, um, I appreciate you having me on and having the guts to have this conversation with me. <laughs> um, I've, I've, had, I've had more conversation. I went to Los Angeles and I stood in a room of about a thousand people and I said, how many people here think they hate my guts? 95% mm-hmm. of the room raised their hands, okay? Uh, how many did you convert? Uh, I had the exact opposite. In fact, my family didn't change their mind. They were like, you know, I still hate you. Um, but it, but it, it, I have had so many conversations with, I mean, I've had conversations with communists. Mm-hmm. Communists. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they, they call themselves liberal, but they openly admit, you'd call me a communist. <laughs> uh, and You're like, yes. I <laughs> yes, I would. Uh, but it's amazing how close we are mm-hmm. in opinions when it comes to the big principles mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know yep. and the people are just afraid i had dinner with 20 people in los angeles and they were the heads of mm-hmm. of big groups uh and none of them the deal was you you can't have a team you're going to have dinner. You can't mm-hmm, have a team. Mm-hmm. And nobody's talking about this. Okay. okay? Nobody's say, sharing who's, who's who. I was the only conservative oh, at the table. wow. Okay. And we were all in agreement mm-hmm. on the big principles. Mm-hmm. All in agreement. People are sick of it. Yeah. They're I, sick of it. They are They're sick just of afraid. It. They are. They are. I was, I was kind of noticing this. Um, recently, there was that whole thing about the, and I might be going down a crazy rabbit hole with you right now, but with the um, Easter worshipers where that everybody, and there seemed to be this kind of bad faith argument, and I don't know what your take was on this, so forgive me, whatever it was. But I heard a lot of like, they're trying to destroy Christianity, blah, blah, blah. And my take on that was I looked at it, I'm like, no. These people are petrified of their own party. They're so afraid of their own party. They can't say Christians. Like that is how I see that that I v- I view it differently. I see it as them being terrified of their own That's even worse. Right. It's That's worse. worse. It's that I see it as worse. I I think that the easy explanation is is the lazy one. I think really it's like they're so afraid of of uh, of angering the kind of radical base that has emerged that they're like, yeah, it's like the most awkward thing to say. (laughs) That's, and so again, being in the middle, I kind of have this perspective where I'm like, no guys, I don't think, I think it's way worse than you actually think. That's terrifying. It is. It's there. Do you believe that? Are you? No, I believe. I mean, that's that's terrifying. I know, but it, it's, uh, it, I don't, I think it makes more sense than like everyone wants to destroy, no, just, that, that is a very, um, flattening. That's a flattening. Right. Yeah, but they do, but, but if you are afraid to say Christian, <laughs> then somebody along the line <laughs> is like Christian bad. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. I guess if you yeah. like ideologically follow that thread, you know, I, ta- I just see it as, again, a kind of example of like that, the, um, the approved message. That's frightening. 
Do you know who Michael Rechtenwald is? But yeah, you're right. If I keep following that thread, it does mean something. Does, along. Somebody along the line up at the top. Is, <laughs> they're not like, no, you guys can write Christians. Do you know who Michael Rechtenwald is? Michael is a guy who was at NYU. He used to write white papers for communists. Okay. Mm -hmm. He's, he can always considered himself a communist. But as I said to him, I said, because then he bailed. He just bailed like two years ago and Mm -hmm. came out and was like, okay, I'm not with these people. And I'm like, Michael, what happened? I mean, you've been a communist your whole life. You've been writing white papers (laughs) for them. And he said, Glenn, it was theory. Uh, he said it was theory. He uh-huh. said, I think communism in theory is good. He said it always goes bad. He said, and these people who actually believe it are terrifying. Yeah, I mean, my my I was married. My ex-husband is from Belarus. And he, he's like, I did not come to this country <laughs> for all of you to become communists. He's so mad. I get, I get stopped in the streets by people from Eastern, you know, the Eastern Bloc. Mm. And they'll stop me and they'll be yelling at me about Americans who don't get it. How come you Americans don't get it? I'm like, I know, I get it. I know, but why can't you cut through and tell them? I'm like, I don't know. I'm trying. I'm trying. It is, it is interesting because I, I was telling um, Kay when she was doing my makeup, she my about a story about um, my ex and how he, we were watching The Simpsons. He was really smart and he had he understood satire even though he came with barely any English. And then he didn't understand the toilet paper um, reference that they were making. They were throwing toilet paper in the trees, which if you're American, you're like, homecoming, ha ha, mm-hmm. hilarious. And he's like, Brigitte, uh, what is this toilet paper? I'm bad at accents. What is this toilet <laughs> paper in the trees thing? And I was like, oh, you know, we just did it. It was a homecoming thing. And he's like, so when I was standing in line for toilet paper, <laughs> you were throwing it in trees? <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah, you yeah, picked yeah. the wrong side of the wall, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what people don't understand. I, I mean, he, it's like, this is, this is, that's not fake. He lived through How that. How can people, I mean, I really want to talk to Hollywood and say, remember when you were for Venezuela? Mm. I don't how, know anything how, about their position on it. Yeah, but how does this happen? We have, how are we so happy about socialism when you've got all of history, but then you have one here that they all touted and they're starving to death. Mm. They're starving. It doesn't work. It's, it's, uh, it's weird too, because I do think that a lot of America's problem in general from everyone is that they don't leave america enough and not just like going to italy abroad (laughs) i mean for your semester abroad Mm -hmm. or whatever i mean go to countries that don't have go to mexico go to india go i was in sri lanka for two months i was in india for a month i mean go to countries where bill burr does a great stand-up routine about how he you know lucky we are in america but just how there's a little indian kid 
And he said, I was in India recently and this kid just came out and he was buck naked and he like took a poo right in between two cars and then just disappeared (laughs) into the crowd like Jeffrey Dahmer at the end. (laughs) And he said it was the most heartbreaking thing I've ever seen. And that is something you see everywhere. And it, it, I feel like the answer to so many of our issues is gratitude. Just b- mm. coming back into gratitude for what we have. All this talk about privilege, the height of privilege, is sitting around online bitching about privilege all day. Thank <laughs> you. If this is your, if a statue. You left, and have you been anywhere? I know. Have you left your couch in five years? <laughs> if a statue is keeping you down you got a pretty great life. Oh, it's it's the height of it's magazine cover, whatever the like yeah. outrage du jour is. It's so it is privileged <laughs> to be able to just be like <laughs> online, and it's it, it's mind boggling to me because it just see. I'm like, you guys don't see the irony of this. This is also something I always saw during the whole election cycle: is all these women being like hashtag the Bachelor, and then they'd be like a reality show president. I'm like, ladies, <laughs> like, no no sense of self here, no self awareness at all. None. They're not gonna. No. Yeah, we might have contributed to this culture. <laughs> Not at all? Okay. I'll go back to being annoying online. Uh, I've said since probably 2005, alcoholics are going to save the world. <laughs> Ironically. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> if we all just did a 12-step program. Oh, I know. I say that all the time. Everyone needs it. Everybody, everyone needs everyone it. needs a program. The country needs a program. We got a problem. We We've got a problem. Can we just do the first step? We've got, We've got a, a problem. problem that's way beyond our control. Yeah. Yeah. We and this is something that in the book, if I ever get to write it, um, it's, you know, the out, the outrage economy. Mm-hmm. And so, again, this is where I have to look at my role and I look at, at the space and there's. There's a whole economy that's been built around this. Around just sit here in my studio. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this has been built on the very same thing, and I'm trying to do good. And I'm like, how how do I how do, I, how do, you how get do I of it? how do I do the good and and be in this business? Yeah, yeah. Do good. You should just shut up and be Tony Robbins. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I was wondering about that. I was going to ask you too how you how you handle. I mean, I, I can't remember who it was. I think maybe it was Cernovich. He was doing one of those, like, ask me anythings. And I feel like he had some, uh, he said something about the realizing that you have this audience and then you kind of have to feed the beast. And I, I wonder, you know, how, and I see it on, again, it's like the whole economy of it when you dare to step outside of maybe what your target demographic is and then they turn on you. I mean, I think recently even like this happened to Rogan. We had Jack mm-hmm. Dorsey on his whole mm-hmm. audience turned mm-hmm. on him and it was mm-hmm. fascinating because you kind of think he's like untouchable. Mm-hmm. And um, I wonder, you know, how do you, <laughs> how do you, in, so, if you're part of it, how do you get outside of it? Can you? Yes. Um, you're like, yes, I'm having you on my podcast. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Um, I, I read a phrase when I first sobered up that 
puzzled me so much. Mm. I couldn't imagine. You want to talk about privilege. Living in a world where the phrase, (laughs) there are many things that I believe that I shall never say. Mm. I shall never say the things I do not believe. That, I read that from a philosopher, uh, scientist in the Enlightenment period. And I read that and I thought, what kind of world do you live in where you're afraid to say the things that you believe? Mm. That was in the 90s. Okay. We're in that world. Mm. And there are many things that I believe that I shall never say. But I shall never say the things I do not believe. Okay. And if you... If you... um, I, I shouldn't emphasize many things because there's not. There's just a few things that are just like, like that won't that won't do any good because it will be misunderstood mm-hmm. and we don't live in a culture that can parse things out. You know what I mean? Of course. Um, but it, it, you, because I'm an alcoholic, this goes back to alcoholics will save the world. I've already lost everything. Right. So I know what's important. Right. You know, all this can go away. Right. It means nothing. Right. I mean, it's great. It's sweet. Only thing that changes your life, private air travel. That changes your <laughs> you life. You know what's okay. funny is I was saying that on the way here. <laughs> yeah. My only goal in life is to get out of coach. I only get flying anxiety oh, you... when I'm in coach. <laughs> it's like the Okay, so this, do, do yourself. <laughs> so get a, next time you <laughs> like come. This person's going to use me as a flirtation <laughs> device for sure. But in front, you're like, oh, everybody cares about me. This plane can't possibly go down. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so and I know. And you know what? It's different. When you sit in first class and they close the curtain, <laughs> it just creates class envy yeah. it's just like we're not going to look at you people <laughs> no no you can always tell the people that got the upgrades versus the people who belong in first class yeah, because yeah. they're looking up and the yeah. people who are like first class <laughs> yeah. they're just down the back of the plane first time i was upgraded i was upgraded i was in the back by the curtain and i looked back to somebody who was flying with me and i just kind of peeked through the curtain like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're taking selfies. That's how you right, can yeah. recognize them. Right. You're like, everything can go away except yeah. my private jet. I can't yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll be homeless, but don't take my jet. Capitalism always wins. Um, but the, the thing that, and I think it's what you do, you've lost everything, and so you know what has true value, and so you won't lose that again. Mm. No. And you can lose that through action, but you can also lose that through inaction. Mm-hmm. I mean, I return to my giant game of yes and. It's just been, I said when I got sober, I know what my life looks like when I'm drinking and smoking weed. And it wasn't, people always ask me why I got sober this time. They think that it's, it's some answer. Like, oh, I got a DUI or I, you know, whatever. You're just at your bottom. I felt dead inside. I felt dead inside. I felt like I was rotting. And <laughs> my, some of my aunt and uncle's friends asked me this on the beach one day. And they're like, wow, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> like, you guys asked me. This is the truth. I felt like I was. Uh, and that has gone away. And I knew where my life would kind of go. But it is. It is. I never knew where it would take me when I got sober, clearly. And it. it <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to hell. <laughs> Apparently, as my dad goes to the dark side. Um, I just never knew. And it's been 
it's just exciting and terrifying. But like you said, I've already more terrifying to me is relapsing or losing. I feel comfortable in my own skin now. I did not ever feel that way. I don't, I, I feel like the shame has, I don't have that shame that I came into the program with the shame of things I had done to myself, been allowed, just all of the, the shame that I came in with um, in, into sobriety, I feel like is gone. You know, that doesn't mean that there aren't massive blind spots that are going to pop up and Somebody's say, here's your lesson. Best advice I ever got from an alcoholic um, was when you least expect it, mm-hmm. expect it. Mm-hmm. Because you're, you know you better than anybody else and so you've prepared all these defenses and all of a sudden one day you'll find yourself and this this happened to me about five years in and i'm like oh my gosh if he hadn't have told me this i would have failed Mm. when you least expect it expect it because your brain will find a way a pathway and it will come to you as completely reasonable oh totally yeah yeah and yeah. you're like whoa I, you have that coin because i was sitting alone at the bar just waiting you know gonna get dinner and i i feel the craving really isn't there and then suddenly it was like oh that drink looks really good and i was nervous and feeling um all kinds of emotions <laughs> just in general i don't like that <laughs> and i went to a you know i took myself to a meeting which is the not my normal behavior i mean that's my normal behavior now but it is that like insidious kind of sneaky and it will seem totally reasonable it'll come come through like oh this seems like a good idea right now and i i would I would, I get so, when, when I was asking you why you do it, I, it got me thinking about why I am doing this. And this conversation, I will have this conversation with anyone. I will, in particular, about recovery and getting, and shame and feelings of worthlessness. I went on Gavin McGinnis and we talked about my heroin addiction. And I mean, that was like, you know, th- that was the all right, essentially, as everybody told me. And we talked a lot. No, I'm not saying that. I agree with that. I'm saying that's the perception. Yeah. And um, I, we mostly talked about my addiction, recovery, and the path. And I cannot tell you how many emails I've received from people who saw that show. And we talked about kind of signs to look for with your teenagers. If they, if he said, you know, what could somebody have looked for with you? If, if, and when you were a teenager, how could they have known that something traumatic had happened to you? And we talked about that and people have emailed me and I've talked to people's kids who are struggling with addiction and we have a massive opioid addiction crisis in this country right now. That's just somehow, you know, people are struggling with this and yeah, that's, that's more important to me than all the noise, all of it. It's, it is the most important thing to me. Will you do me a favor? Yes. Will you keep a diary that is just of... For you. No. (laughs) Dear Glenn. (laughs) Keep a diary of just those things. Mm -hmm. Because when you start to feel worthless, because I I can't, I don't know if we feel the same way. I feel like, I guess worthless, that what I do has 
absolutely no value. Mm. It's just all bad. What keeps you, what are the things that inspire you? Things like this, the, the emails yeah. from people, the personal yeah, the, individuals? The, I remember the people who will come up and say, you changed my life. Mm-hmm. And I don't know them. Mm-hmm. I don't see them. Mm-hmm. I only get, people don't say that to you all the time. No, no. You hear and more of the noise. You need to keep a good noise journal. That's a really good idea, actually. That is a good idea. I will do that. One more favor? Yes. Will you come back? I will. Great. I would love to. Good. Thank Thank you you. for having me. You bet. Just a reminder, I'd love you to rate and subscribe to the podcast and pass this on to a friend so it can be discovered by other people. 